0: Well, good morning. I want to first take a moment and apologize to Northside West. Last week, we had some technical difficulties in our first service here, and um, that translated to some serious problems at the West campus. And Jonathan had to step in and and try to complete a message that he wasn't familiar with, and so. John, thank you for, um, for doing that. And for all of you who are at our West Campus, I want to apologize. And, and I want you to know that we are doing everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. And we, um, we take care of all of those glitches that can happen like that. A wise person once said, to dwell above with those we love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, That's another story. Now, I think each and every one of us who are emotionally honest would have to admit there's a lot of truth in that statement. Loving people is not always easy. A woman went to church one Sunday and she was surprised because another woman who, who always snubbed her came to her, gave her a real tight hug, and and then walked away. She was confused. She wondered, what happened to this woman to make her come up to me and and give me a hug this Sunday? At the conclusion of the service, she found out what had happened. The, The pastor got up at the conclusion of his message, and he said, your assignment today is the same as last week. I want you to reach out and love someone that you can't stand. Now, if loving people was as easy as giving someone a hug, each and every one of us would be experts at loving, wouldn't we? Because we could hug them and we could leave them alone. But understand, loving people is a little more difficult than that. It requires continual effort. Because at the heart of loving others is putting other people before ourselves. And that's always a huge battle. And that's what John talks about as we begin to look at the fifth vital sign of spiritual life. Now, if you're new with us this morning, we're in a series on, on the book of First John that we've called The Walking Dead. Because all around us are people who believe that they are spiritually alive, they are on their way to heaven, but in reality they are the spiritual walking dead. They've never been transformed by the power of God and and they are on their way to a Christless eternity and they don't even know it. Now God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we're saved, that we're spiritually alive, that we're on our way to heaven. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 5, 13, John says this. He says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. And, and the way that we know that we have eternal life is by discovering these vital signs In our life. And the way that we discover these vital signs, according to John, is by answering some very simple questions. And that's what we've been focusing on for the last several weeks. These, these questions that we ask to discover whether there is spiritual life in me, whether there is spiritual life in you. Now, the first question we ask is this. Am I aware of my sin? Have I stopped denying my sin? Have I stopped covering up my sin? Have I stopped excusing my sin? And have I confessed it to God? Have I sought forgiveness and cleansing from my sin? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John says this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, that's God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so if we say we're good people, if we say that we're not sinners, we're saying that God is a liar because God says... That we are sinners, so, so have you dealt with your sin? Have you acknowledged your sin to a holy God? The second question we ask is this, am I living for the Lord? Am I obeying His commands? In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says this, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, God's commands are wrapped up in God's word. And so whenever we, we see that the Bible is talking about God's commands, it's talking about God's word. And so the question is, am I living a life in which I am seeking to obey the word of God? If I'm saved, if I'm on my way to heaven, if I'm spiritually alive, my desire is to live my life according to what this book, the Bible, says. So am I living for the Lord? The third question I ask is this, am I forsaking the world? You see, becoming a Christian is, is literally coming to a fork in the road where I decide to walk down one road, the road with God, rather than the other road, the road of the world. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, if I am spiritually alive, I have changed masters. Jesus said it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and and be devoted to the other. We can't serve two masters, so what about it? Have you changed masters? Do Do you love the Lord? Do you long for the Lord more than you long for the things of this world? Am I loving the Lord rather than the world? The, the, fourth, the fourth question that I ask, according to John, is this. Am I experiencing victory over sin? Am I seeking to live a righteous life? In 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 and 9, John says this. He says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him... Or known him. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. John is very emphatic here. He is telling us that a Christian will not continue to sin. Now, this is not saying, like we said last week, that a Christian will be sinless, but it is saying that a Christian will sin less. A Christian's attitude towards sin has changed. A Christian doesn't lose the ability to sin, but a Christian does lose the desire to sin. We no longer want to be controlled by sin. We have this desire, this yearning within us to be set free from sin. And so the fifth question is, has your attitude towards sin changed? Do you have a desire to have victory over sin? Now this morning, as we move to the fifth vital sign, we discover that this fifth vital sign can be discovered by asking a simple question. And the question is this, am I loving other people? Am am I loving other people? Now, if you haven't already opened up your Bibles, I want you to open it up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I want us to begin this morning with one verse. We're not going to stand because because we're going to be reading a lot this morning together. And, And so I want to begin with verse 10 of chapter 3. Listen to what it says. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Anyone who does not love his brother is not a child of God. Now, what you need to understand is this. John speaks about love more than any other subject. As I was reading through 1 John again this past week, preparing to teach you this morning, I just highlighted... All of the passages that speak about love in First John. And it's amazing. We read about love more than anything else. And when something is repeated over and over and over, that is telling us that this is extremely important. God doesn't want us to miss this. Then I want to just walk you through what John says about love In this first letter of John, first of all, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says this, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have have had since the beginning. This old command is, is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. John then comes back to love in in 1 John chapter 3 verse 10. Listen to what he says. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And then in verse 23, he says this, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded And as to say, don't miss this, John goes back to this subject of love one more time in 1 John 4. He says, beginning in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love. Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now listen, don't miss this. If you zone out from here on and you miss everything else I say, don't miss this. Love is the defining action of a Christian. If there is one action, if there is one attribute that should define who we are as believers, it's this. Love. We should love one another. And I think each and every one of us would agree that our world could use a little bit more love. We pick up the morning paper, we watch the evening news, and we see terrorism, we see racism, we see ethnic cleansing, we see genocide, we see religious wars. But it's not just out there far away. This lack of love is in our own backyard. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we heard about a, a Lexington High School graduate who stabbed to death a Dutch Fork student right in the parking lot of Cookout in Lexington. This lack of love, this, this hatred that we see all around us, and every one of us can see this lack of love, this, this hate that fills our world. But the question is... Can we see it in our own lives? We see it out there, but do we see it in here? Now, we may not be expressing it in, in all of this violence, and, and we may never express it in violence, but it's there nevertheless inside us. This lack of love, this this, this hatred, this this attitude that, that we're better than someone else. This disgust, this disdain when we look at other people. And until we're born again, it will be one, if not the primary defa- defining action of our lives, this, this hatred. Now some of you are saying, wait a minute. I, I don't hate anyone. I've never hated anyone. But I would dare disagree with you. I would be willing to say that that each and every one of us in this room have hated people at times in our life. Then you say, I've never hated anyone. Well, let me give you a definition if I can and see if, if you can still say I've never hated anyone. Hate is a selfish, insensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as i seek my own my own interest it's it's ignoring other people it's not acknowledging other people it's leaving people alone when we see needs that we could meet it is avoiding people because we just don't like them it may be the things they do. It may be the way they look. It could be the way they smell. But we see them and we walk past them and, and we have these thoughts. We never verbally communicate them. We never express them with our mouth, but in our mind, it's there. We're better than they are. They don't deserve our love. They don't deserve our help. We've got the ability to step in and make a difference, and we don't. And that's what hate is. And you see, the Bible makes it clear that as Christians, we're called to live different. We're called to live a life of love. We are told in God's Word that the most important thing in all the world is love. We are told that the very first fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Spirit of God is living in us, the very first evidence of that is love. That's why John talks about love so much. Because love is the defining action of each and every one of us who who are called Christians, who who are followers of Christ. And so as we unpack some of the things that, that John teaches us about love, there, there are several truths I want you to glean from this this morning. And when we walk away this morning, my desire is not that we'll walk away from here knowing more about what the Bible teaches on love. It's my desire that we'll walk away convicted that we haven't been loving like we should be. And we'll have a desire planted by the Spirit of God to be more loving toward people each and every day. Now, now let me give you these truths. The first truth that I want you to see is this. Love is demanded. It's a non-negotiable in the Christian life. Either you have love or you're not a Christian. But what you need to understand is that love isn't a new command. Love has been a command since the very beginning. From the beginning of time, when God sent, set Israel apart as his own people, he commanded them to love. In Leviticus 19, God says this in his word. He says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I mean, under the law, God's people were commanded to love one another as they loved themselves. When Jesus came on the scene, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? And this is what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets, hang on these two commands. Did you get that? Jesus said, if you take the Old Testament scriptures and you want to to give a synopsis of everything that it says... Everything that it says can be summed up in these two statements. Love God, love people. If you love God and you love people, you will do everything the law and the prophets command us to do. But then Jesus went further. He took this old standard, we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and he raised it to a whole new level. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Later on, he said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. He said, the law says, love others as much as you love yourself. But I'm now telling you that's not enough. You need to love others just as much as I love them. Now, that's heavy stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment. How how do we love the way Jesus loved? Paul understood this this subject of love was extremely important. Paul said this. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Peter said it this way. He said, above all, love each other deeply. And And then when we open up John's epistle, it it's obvious, it's apparent that this, this theme of love is the most important thing that he wants us to get in our mind. He says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, and to love one another as he commanded. Chapter 4, verse 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Listen, for a believer, love isn't a choice, it's a command, it's, it's an obligation, it's a debt we must pay. So love is demanded. Hear me. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you have no option. You have no choice. You are commanded to love. You're not commanded to love a certain group. You're not commanded to love people who look like you, who smell like you who have the same color skin of you, who are in the same socioeconomic range as you, who are in the same country as you. You're commanded to love people, period, just like Jesus did. Love is demanded. But let's move on. Because the next thing John does is he defines love. Love defined, and let's be honest. We've got to understand what love is before we're ever going to be able to express love. Now, now I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 16. John, John says this phrase that I'm going to read in just a moment, twice. But in 1 John 4, verse 16, John says this. He says, God is love. God is love. This is one of the only times that God is identified with with one of his attributes. It doesn't say God is loving. It doesn't say God is lovable. It says God is love. Love is so much a part of who God is that, that God defines love and love is defined in God. The Apostle Paul tells us that, that God's love surpasses knowledge. David, in, in one of his psalms, tells us that love is as high as the mountains. It is as deep as the oceans. There's a song that goes like this. Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. And could the whole contain the scroll, though stretch from sky to sky? You see, God defines love. Man doesn't define love. God does. God is love. But then God wants to put that love into an expression, into a picture that we can understand. And so in 1 John 3, verse 16, this is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, love isn't a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is an action. It's a verb that describes our behavior. And it was defined in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Now, now don't misunderstand. Feelings are good. But we can't always control our feelings. What we can control is our behavior. There are times that our feelings just aren't there. I doubt that Jesus had warm fuzzies when they were beating him, when they were spitting on him, when they were nailing him to the cross. I doubt deep within he was going, wow, I just love these guys. I doubt he felt that way inside. I doubt that was the emotion that was going through his mind. And yet he could pray, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. He could express compassion toward them even in that moment. And that's what love is. Jesus gave up so that others could have. His life from beginning to end defines love the way that he treated people. The woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the rich young ruler, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, even those Pharisees. Jesus defined love anywhere and everywhere he was. You see, love is the willingness to relinquish personal comforts, withstand personal attacks, forgive others. Love is is the willingness to live without retaliation and to seek only the best for others regardless of how they treat us. Love is reaching out to those who hurt us. It's reaching out to those who offend us, even when our righteous anger is rightfully aroused. Someone said love is, is willingly giving up something I enjoy, want, or need in order to bless, help, or positively affect someone else. You see, Jesus was never focused on himself. He was always focused on others. Now, have you ever heard someone say, well, that person is just hard to love, or that person is just impossible to love? Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, well, the truth of the matter is we're all hard to love at times, Amen. That's just a fact. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. She'll tell you it's true. Then I know some of you are saying, well, who couldn't love Pastor Rocky? Each and every one of us at times are unlovable. We're just ornery and cantankerous and fussy and irritable and we're hard to get along with at times. It's hard to love people at times. A well known Harvard psychologist said, We are more likely to act ourselves into a feeling than feel ourselves into an action. You see, that's why love isn't an emotion, it's an action. Because we act ourselves into the feeling, we don't feel ourselves into the action. Vince Lombardi, that great football coach of the past, said this about his team. He said, I don't necessarily have to like my players, but I have to love them. Love is loyalty. Love is teamwork. Love respects the dignity of the individual. This is the strength of an organization, love. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want What it doesn't have. Love never struts. Love doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always a me first attitude. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Doesn't pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Wow. Love never gives up. Love never dies. I'm sure you've heard people say, well, I've tried all I can. I just can't try anymore. Well, what they're saying is I don't love because love never gives up. Love never dies. Love defined. Love is defined in Jesus. If you want to know what love is, you need to look at the life of Jesus how He loved people who did not love Him, and how He put that into action, not just an emotion, and you'll understand love. Now, love demonstrated. Let's move to the third thing. 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with the actions and truth. What... What John is saying is this, when it comes to love, talk is cheap. We demonstrate our love not with what we say, we demonstrate our love with what we do. Now now that doesn't mean we can say mean things to people and love them, we can't. It's saying that we can say we love someone, but if we don't act like it, we're a liar. We're not really loving them. You see, love will affect our actions, it will affect our ambitions, it will affect our attitudes, it will affect our affections. Love will change the way we live. And by the way, who are we to love? Because if you've read with me, John keeps on saying we're to love our brother. Now, some will say, well, I love my brother. You know, that's my, my Christian brothers. And let's get real. We don't even do that all the time. There are Christians that you can't stand. And if you say that's not true, you're lying and you're you're on your way to hell. (laughs) I mean, there there are people who are Christians, they're Christ followers, that we just don't like them and we don't act like we love them. So we don't even do a good job if we define that as, as our Christian family. But that's not how this is defined. Do you remember when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan? He was telling that story in response to the question, Who is my neighbor? And the answer to that is, Well, anybody and everybody who is in need. Who's my brother? Everybody. Anybody. All people. And so we're called to love everyone, anyone. Those people who are just so different than us, those people who are so far from God, those people who are so deep in the pit of dirt and filth, we are called to love them. But here's the fact, and, and I've just come to admit this, it's impossible to love people the way God wants us to. Have you admitted that? I mean, it's impossible to love people the way God wants us to. We can't love like Jesus, at least not on our own. It's one of those things to love our family. It's one of those things to love those people who are good to us, who are always kind to us, who are always lifting us up. But but when it comes to loving people who are mean to us, who who hurt us, or who, worse yet, hurt our family... Whoa, that's when it gets tough. You've heard me tell stories before of how I've lost it. And, and I've never lost it when, when, when someone's done something to me. I really haven't. I've kept my cool. But boy, when someone does something to my wife or to one of my kids, I ought to confess to you, man, I've lost it. I've gone ballistic I've gone, lock him up, he's crazy, wild. I've gone that way before. You see, it's easy to love people who love us, but what about those people who are mean to us and are mean to our family? Those are the people that we're called to love as well. How do we do that? Well, that takes us to the fourth truth that John talks to us about, and that's love deposited. Look at chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. Now, look at verse 7 if you have your Bibles open. In verse 7, it says, Love comes from God. I love how it says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. God has poured his love into our hearts. How? Well, he's done it through his Holy Spirit that he gives to us. Here's the key. God through a supernatural act called the new birth, pours His love into our lives. And for the first time ever, we have the potential of loving people that don't love us. We even have the potential of loving people that hate us. Now, when God pours His love into us through His Spirit, the Bible calls that the fruit of the Spirit. You've heard me say that that fruit is is poured into our life, I believe, as a seed. And that seed has to be watered and nurtured and cultivated and taken care of if it's going to grow and mature and become a full-blown plant that is easy to see. You see, the love is inside of us once God's Spirit is in us, but, but all too often we haven't done what we need to do to cultivate that love, to water that love, to nurture that love, to allow that love to grow and that's why, that's why so many of us who are Christians, we've been born again and we want to love. We want to love. We want to love the unlovable. We want to love those people who are mean to us. We want to love those people who can't stand us. We want to, but boy, it's tough. And the reason is we haven't cultivated that seed. We haven't watered the seed. We, we haven't made the decision to act in love even when we don't want to. And that's what we've got to do. Because I'm here to tell you what the world needs now is a good dose of love. Jesus said this. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. By the way you keep my commands? No. By your ability to quote scripture? No. By, by your rousing worship? No. Uh, no, the world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. You see, when you and I somehow, some way allow the Spirit of God to really begin... To take over our lives. And we allow his love to begin to pour through us to a hurting world. The world will go, wow. Something different. Something I need. So what about it? Is that love seen in you? Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about people who lack love. He said, those people with this unloving nature are always finding problems and troubles. They always see insults where they do not exist. There is always something upsetting them. They are always being put out. They are constantly stumbling because of their unloving spirit. They are always touchy and sensitive, and they constantly run other people into trouble. You see, you can be actively involved in church and even engaged in ministries But if the Spirit is not pouring through in love, then you need to examine your relationship with God. So let's just pause for a moment like we've done every week for the last several weeks and ask some questions. Has the supernatural love of God flooded your heart and given you a love for others? Has it flooded your heart? I mean, deep down inside, do you long to love people In a selfless, sacrificial way. I'm not asking you, is it always evident? I'm not asking you, is it always pouring through? I'm asking you, deep down in your heart, is it there? Do you long to love people the way Jesus loved people? Does your love go beyond mere feelings? Do you have a genuine concern for people? You see, there's a lost and a hurting world waiting to see if Jesus really makes a difference. And it's our love or a lack of love that's going to reach them. Let's pray this morning that God's love will begin to pour through. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, before... Anything else, I want to ask you this question. Have you experienced God's love in your life? Because until you've experienced God's love revealed in the cross, you'll never, ever be able to love other people. So have you experienced God's love, a love that was shown toward us while we were still sinners in rebellion against God. God didn't tell you to straighten up your life and he would love you. God said, I love you right where you are in your filth, in your rebellion, in your sin. I love you and I want to set you free. Have you responded to God's love? Have you experienced God's love? If you haven't, I want to invite you this morning to experience God's love for the very first time. You can pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I need you. I know my very best efforts are not good enough. They're never going to be good enough. But I know you love me. You showed me your love on the cross. I'm asking you to forgive me for my sin. I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. I'm asking you, Father, to make me brand new. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. And thank you for how you're changing me beginning now. Now, if you're here and you're a believer, and you know that you're saved, but God's love hasn't been the dominant action of your life, the defining action of your life, then I want to encourage you right now and right here in this moment to pray and ask God's love to begin to pour out in your life. You can pray this prayer if you want to, dear God. I've experienced your love but I'm not doing a good job of showing it. Forgive me. I know love isn't an emotion. I know it's not a feeling. I realize it's an action. Beginning today Let me love people the way you love people. Let me see people through your eyes. Let me minister to them with your hands. Let me love them with your heart. I pray. Amen.